Uh, as you can tell, we're going to be in Deuteronomy today, taking a little turn from what I would normally be doing, which is the parables. And I was thinking after Christmas is obviously New Year's, so you usually have like some sort of New Year's sermon. <clears throat> and I was thinking, well, I don't really want to do a New Year's resolution sermon. I don't know why, I just didn't want to. Uh, and so I was thinking, uh, what do we need to be learning about for the new year? And as I was thinking about it, I came across this verse, and I thought, what a beautiful verse. Uh, maybe what we need to do for the new year is just remind ourselves of what the Lord requires of us already. And so let's read Deuteronomy 12 through, uh, 10, 12 through 13. And it says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. And so these, this is what we are going to be looking at today. And there's a lot in these verses, and so we're going to move fairly quickly. Uh, but just as a background, in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, Israel showed that they couldn't be self-dependent from God. None of us can be. In chapter 9, we see that they had a rebellious attitude, um, <clears throat> attitude towards God throughout history. Uh, you could take maybe verse six, nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. Know therefore the Lord that your God, uh, your God is not giving you this good land um, to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God with uh, to wrath in the wilderness. And so chapter 9 is there to remind them um, that they are not uh, righteous uh, on their own account. It is only through God that they could ever have that. Uh, in fact, they were rebellious towards God in their history. In chapter 9, we see that the Ten Commandments were made... And then you have the golden calf, starting in verse 13. And after they are made, we see that in verse, let's see, we'll go to uh, verse 9. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant of the Lord, made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and I, I neither ate bread nor drank water. This is Moses. And then uh, Moses coming down from the mountain, he sees that they have this calf, and what does he do? This golden calf, verse 17, so I took hold of the two tablets and I threw them out of my hands and broke them before your eyes. And so Moses has already created or the first tablets. I shouldn't say he created them. God did. Uh, but they were created and Moses throws them on the ground already. And so this is the second time now. Uh, verse chapter 10, verse 10, now I'm, I myself stayed on the mountain as I did the first time, 40 days and 40 nights and the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was uh, unwilling to destroy you. And so this is the second time that he is creating uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, and he was again up there 40 days and 40 nights. And so now, as he, the second ones are created, he is reminding Israel of what the Lord requires of them. And as I was reading verses 12 through 13, I was thinking, well, it's not different from really what the Lord requires of us today. 
And so now, even though he's specifically talking to Israel, what is said it can also be applied to us as well. Um, as believers, we need to be have a reminder every once in a while of what the Lord requires of us. <clears throat> Just for a note of reference, we're going to be looking at each one of these things. To fear the Lord, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve Him with all of our heart and soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes. This is something that they had already been told previously. They had already been told him to fear. To, they have already been told to fear the Lord in chapter six, to love Him in chapter six, to walk in His ways in chapter five, to keep the commandments in chapter seven of Deuteronomy, and then that was all for their good as well in chapter six. So this was nothing new to them. This was a reminder to them of what the Lord required of them. Chap, uh, verses 12 through 13 also summarize, uh, is like a summary of what is in 14 through 22. So on your own time, uh, this week maybe, take a look and read the rest of this little passage uh, to get an even better understanding of these small verses. But the first thing we're going to look at getting right into this is that God requires fear. And now this might sound a little interesting, and one of the things that might pop into your mind is uh, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And that's in First John. Um, that is true, but also we read in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so how can we see both of those texts together? Now, how is it that we're supposed to fear God and yet not fear God at the same time? And you might remember from our Attributes of God study, because we went over this a little bit, is that we separate fear into two different categories. We have servile and filial. And this was from Martin Luther. He was the one who originally did this. And servile is the kind of fear that a prisoner has in a torture chamber. Uh, fear of what the person might do to them as they are weak and helpless. Uh, this might be the fear that a vicious, uh, slave has for a master who is vicious towards him, that just wants ill intent towards him all the time, which is much different from filial fear. Uh, and this is the kind of fear that a child has for his father. Um, that is that the child loves his father, but he has a respect for his father. And he knows that when he disobeys his father as well, there is going to be consequences for that. Um, but ultimately, right, the son or the kid doesn't want to disappoint his father in whom he loves. And therefore, there is this uh, filial fear uh, when you don't want to displease the one whom you love. And this is the kind of fear that we should have for God, this filial fear. And I want to prove this to you by taking you to Hebrews chapter 12. And so you can keep your maybe thumb in Deuteronomy, but we're actually going to be looking uh, in the New Testament mainly today. So Hebrews chapter 12, we see it in verse 28. It says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship, 
with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so when you're thinking of this fear that we are supposed to have for God, and it is right here, acceptable worship with reverence and awe. To fear the Lord is to have reverence and awe for Him. Uh, To fear Him is to see Him as a holy God, as Pastor Bill says all the time, right? Holy, holy, holy is He. That is, He is holy, holier, holiest. And we see that holy God in light of who we are, in light of our sin. And so we see Him with reverence and awe. And there is an aspect of this which uh, is fearing when we do wrong. Actually, in Hebrews 10, uh, just before this, in 10, verse 31, we read that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so we need to remember that He is holy and He is just as well. Uh, And as sinners... Uh, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. I mean, even back in our passage in Hebrews 12, verse 29, right? For our God is a consuming fire. Uh, That was Paul. Or this not Paul. Someone's going to be like, wow, Caden, you mentioned the author of Hebrews is Paul. We don't know who it is. So Um, The author, right? He is actually uh, warning the Jews who wanted to go back to Judaism, uh, that God is a consuming fire, uh, that there is consequences for that, and that we should have a healthy fear for God. Uh, Actually, if you go back even a little bit, chapter 12, we're going to go to verse 20. Uh, It says, For they could not endure in order that a sign was given, If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Now, this is going back to Mount Sinai, where God told them, don't come up the mountain. And so, it was a fearful thing for them to sit at the foot of the mountain before a holy God. And it says in verse 21, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That is how frightening it was to stand in that mountain. Now, we might not be standing before a mountain, but we do stand before a holy God. And we need to have that reverence and awe for that holy God. And when we have that fear, that filial fear, that is the basis for what Follows, and that is loving him and obeying him, uh, which is going to be the next thing we look at right now. Going back to our text, chapter 10 in Deuteronomy. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in his ways? So we fear him and then we also walk in his ways. <clears throat> so I want to take you to a passage in Colossians. We're going to look at Colossians 1 now to see how we are to walk in his ways today. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. And it says, And so, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We have to see this verse and, first of all, ask ourselves, what is Paul asking in these verses? And the thing that he is asking is for us to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And we'll get to how that ends up to us walking with him. So he's asking, right? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and insight. And this is where it starts, right? If you want to walk with God, the first thing you have to do is know what the will of God is. You need to know what God wants of you. And the question is, how do we know what God wants of us? Well, there's a few different answers we can give, and all of them are good. Uh, You can fear the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so that is definitely one of the places to start. Second of all, we have Scripture, God's Word, which tells us in very good detail uh, what He requires of us. And so we can read Scripture. But the most basic way that we can know what God requires of us is something that is often overlooked in times of need. And it is exactly what Paul is doing. He has never ceased to pray for you, asking It's as simple as asking God what he requires of you. That is to know the will of the Lord. And so if you are out there saying, well, I don't know what God wants me to do, I'm going to tell you to ask him. And when we are filled with this knowledge, we gain the wisdom and understanding that we need. Um, Uh, We are filled. Uh, That word filled is to be controlled by. This is kind of simple. You might say we are filled with the Spirit. That is, we are controlled by the Spirit. Or maybe you might say you are filled with anger. That means you are controlled by that anger. And so we are filled with the knowledge of His will, meaning we are filled to the point that we are carrying out His will. I like what Wearsby wrote about this. He says, Two words summarize the practicality of Christian life, walk and work. The sequence is important. First wisdom, then walk, then work. I cannot work for God unless I am walking with him, but I cannot walk with him if I am ignorant of his will. And so if we are going to walk in the knowledge of his will, The beginning of that is getting that knowledge we need. We cannot walk with God if we do not know what God requires of us. So knowledge leads you to have the wisdom and understanding you need to comprehend the general principles of godly behavior. So as to, as we read in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord which is where we're getting to our text, right? When you think of walking or walking with God, it's just one's daily conduct, right? That daily, every single day, we are walking with God continually. 
Uh, it's an active thing. It's not a passive thing, right? We're not standing with God. We are actively walking with God. And when we do this, we will be fully pleasing in all. Uh, we will be fully pleasing to him. Right? When you are walking with God in all your conduct, all of that will be fully pleasing. And this is in all aspects of life. And when you're thinking about walking with God, we can't compartmentalize God into the categories that we want him to be. We want him there Sunday, maybe Monday, but not Tuesday. Then Wednesday when I go to uh, study, not Thursday, right? It doesn't work like that. In all aspects of life, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're sleeping, whether we just woke up, in all ways we need to be walking with God fully pleasing to him. And Paul then goes on in these verses to describe what walking with God looks like. Now, this is what we would call sanctification. Now, we are fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We are bearing fruit in every good work, right? Fruit is the uh, byproduct of walking with God. When we are walking with God, we are bearing fruit. And the opposite of that is true as well. When we aren't walking with God, we are not bearing good fruit. And there's a lot of different... When I was trying to figure out what verses to pull for walking with God, there are many that you can find in Scripture, like a plenitude. Um, it says that we are to walk in humility in Ephesians, in purity in Romans, walk in contentedness in 1 Corinthians, by faith in good works, uh, different from the world in love and light and wisdom and truth and so on and so forth. And so there are a lot of ways in which we are supposed to walk with God, bearing good fruit. Now the most exciting thing about this verse in particular is the ending here. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, that's a kind of interesting statement because that is the starting point. Uh, we started with the knowledge of God and knowing his will. And now we are ending with knowing the knowledge, more knowledge of God. And so it's interesting that you go from praying or asking or reading about the knowledge of God and that leads you to walk with God, which leads you to bear fruit for God, which makes you gain more knowledge of God, which then <laughs> makes you want to go walk with God to bear more fruit for God and then also gain more knowledge of God. Do you see how this is a continual cycle? that this cycle will never end. You will always be, or you should always be, gaining knowledge, walking with God, bearing fruit, and gaining more knowledge. So it's a continual cycle of deepening your faith and walk with God. And so we've looked at two things now of what the Lord requires of us, and that is to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways. And now we're going to look at to love Him. And He requires love. 
the hallmark of Christian faith, really, in many ways. And we're going to take this to Matthew 22, 34 through 40, and we kind of have to take it here. Let's just read this passage real quick. It says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love the Lord your God, your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now the question is interesting. First of all, we have to address the uh, Sadducees because they were silenced. Previous to this, there was a series of questions that they asked. Um, first, there was a Pharisee in chapter or in verse fifteen. Then the Sadducees asked a question about the resurrection, uh, and they were silenced, as it says in verse thirty-four. And that silenced is interesting because it's the same word that is used to muzzle when he says to muzzle an ox. And so the idea is that they were just completely silenced, all but physically silenced, uh, that they had nothing else to say. And so they were asking Jesus these series of questions, and Jesus was answering them. And here we have a lawyer. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Now, if you read the, uh, the account in Mark, you see that really this wasn't a... Um, he, the way in which the Pharisee asked those questions, it seems like he wanted an honest answer, that he wasn't necessarily trying just to trip up Jesus, that he wanted to know, what do you think is the greatest commandment? And so it seems like an honest question. Uh, he is a lawyer as well, which uh, seems to reflect the point that he was higher up uh, with the Pharisees, that he was a leader of some sort. So he asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and with all of your mind. Now, a little background before we get to answering the question, which is really important, is that rabbis over the years decided that there were, uh, since there were 613 different separate Hebrew letters in the Ten Commandments, right? So they said there's 613 of these letters in the Ten Commandments. That must mean that there is 1,613 different laws. And so they came up with 613 different laws. And from those laws, they divided the laws into two different categories. There was 248 affirmative laws. At that point, it was one for every uh, part of the human body, as they thought. And then there was 365 negative laws, one for every um, day of the year. And so they had these 613 different laws that they had. As well as dividing them into those two different categories, they subdivided those into heavy and light. And so what they would do is say, well, some of these laws are very heavy as an important. We really need to keep these. And some of these are light. And the... 
came, what came to be eventually was that people would focus on the really heavy laws, and if you focused on those, then the light ones didn't really matter as much because you were holding on to the heavy ones. Uh, that is different from what Jesus teaches, right? Uh, that even if you look at a woman lustfully, you are committing that same crime. And so uh, this is what they did. And the scribes would argue a lot about which ones they thought were heavy and which ones they thought were light. And so that is the context in which he is asking this question. It's something that had been done before. He's asking, which one do you think is the heaviest law? And so Jesus responds, and his response is in line with the law as well as um, their um, custom. So they had the Shema. This is the Hebrew word for hear. And this comprised of a text from Deuteronomy and Exodus. And the Shema was, uh, we could think about it as like a prayer. It started in Deuteronomy 6.4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God, and so on and so forth. So it was like uh, they would write out text from Deuteronomy and Exodus on a little parchment paper, and they would put it into a little box, which was called phylacteries, and they would place this on their forehead and their arms during prayer. Uh, and interestingly enough, just for reference, because this is kind of cool, turn to chapter 23. You'll see in verse 5, this is what Jesus calls out. He says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And so that's what he's calling out, uh, that they purposely write out this text, they put it in a little box, and they make it visible to everybody else. And so Jesus is saying to them, you're asking me what the greatest commandment is, but the greatest commandment is one of the ones that you say every single day. That you write it out and you put it on your foreheads and you put it on your arms. The greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. So you are to love the Lord your God. Now, our culture praises love. Uh, You will hear our culture talk about love all the time. Um, And sadly, we have a very poor understanding of what love is in America. You could think about Valentine's Day, which will be coming up eventually, and thinking about how love is represented during Valentine's Day, because that's really how we see it. Uh, That is, it is a gift. It is an emotion. uh, It is something that happens every once in a while. It's only something you get with certain people. And none of those things really are what love is. See, love is an act of the mind and will. It is determined care for the welfare of someone else. Actually, the love is agapeo, It's intelligent, purposeful, committed love that is an act of will, which is much different from emotion. It's when you set your heart on someone and you love them regardless of what they do to you. 
And he tells them you're supposed to do this with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And in Mark, it adds strength. Uh, And this, again, isn't to compartmentalize the different aspects and where you are to love in your life. He is encompassing the whole entire being of the person. With all that you are, you are to love the Lord your God. The heart, that is the core and personal being of a person. The soul, which is the emotion of the person. And the mind, which is seen as the intellect and often the strength of a person. And so with all that you are, you are to love the Lord your God. And the second one is much like it. Right? If someone truly loves God, then he will also have love for his neighbor as well. And he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And that is quite the statement when you think about it. And I don't know what the Pharisees would have thought of when they heard that. But he's saying all of the Old Testament amplifies and develops these two points, that you love God and you love your neighbor. And on that, those two points depend all of it. And so we can fully understand that we need to love our neighbors and that when we love God, our love for neighbors should flow through that. In 1 John 3, verse 10, we read, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so, if you see someone who does not love his brother, that is a sign to you that they are not of God. And so the opposite of that is also true. If you see those who love, who truly love their brother, who love their neighbor, well, that can be a sign that they love God as well. So, Getting back to our main text, we see that we are to have fear for God, which leads us to walk in His ways, which leads us to love Him, and now we are to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul as well. Now we're going to take this to Matthew Chapter 6. Um, briefly, I've kind of gone over uh, with some fine detail the idea of fearing the Lord and to walk in His ways and to love the Lord. And when you love God, the next two, serving Him and being obedient to Him, come naturally, right? Because all of the Old Testament, the rest of the law, depends on love. So if you love God, the next two are going to come natural to you. He requires service. This is to serve. Uh, To serve is to have the worship of the Lord as the central focus of your life. Uh, That you are focused on that one thing. 
to serve God. And I'm only taking you here, <clears throat> Matthew 6, 24. Uh, this is something that we went over this past year, which is fitting. Uh, Pastor Bill went through this. No one can serve two masters, for not, or he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I just want to take a notice and look at what it says. Notice how there is no middle ground here. No one can serve two masters. You will either hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Dwight uh, Moody says it this way, If I walk with the world, I can't walk with God. And that is a simple way to put it. When your mind, your focus, your attention, your heart and soul is somewhere else other than God, you are not focusing on God. You are focusing on that thing, and you are serving that thing instead of serving God. And so what we need to do to combat that is to fear the Lord, to love Him, and to walk in His ways. And that is to serve Him. And so we need to keep that on the forefront of our minds, that if we truly love God, we will also serve God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. And that is what he requires of us. So he requires fear. He requires walking in his will. He requires love, service. And the last thing is he requires obedience. <clears throat> From love, again, flows obedience. And naturally, we have to take this to John. John 14, verse 15. Jesus, in this whole entire passage, says it in the most simple way possible. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It is just that simple. We don't have to make it complicated. If you love him, you will keep his commandments. If you fear him, you will keep his commandments. You will... Not only keep them, but you will want to keep them. But it's not just in verse 15. It's also in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then we also see this in verses 23 through 24. Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and, he, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And so Jesus is making it pretty clear to them. Look, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love and obedience go hand in hand. Sometimes we can't affect our affections, but we can always change our attitudes and our actions. Now, that is something I can always do. Someone might make me aggravated, 
but I can always change my affection towards that person and my actions towards that person. We can always love those who hate us, and we can always be kind to those who persecute us. And so as you go throughout the world, remember that you can always change your attitude and you can always change your actions towards people who hate you. Now, getting back to our verse, our main verse here in Deuteronomy. Because I know I've gone through a lot today. It was quite a bit. But I wanted this to be an overview, right, of what God requires of us. As we go through 2022, next week we meet, it's very strange. It'll be 2022. Um, And what is it that we need to be focusing on? And we don't need to be doing all these new things, making new resolutions, and you can do that if you want to. But I just implore you to do the thing which God already requires of you. And what I want you to do is these things, but I want you to try to memorize verses 12 through 13. Uh, Put them in your mind. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And as you go throughout the new year, keep reminding yourself of what the Lord requires of you. And that is to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, And ultimately, you are doing this for your good. So, I'm going to end there. Uh, Memorize this passage. uh, Put it in your heart. And as you are memorizing it, be contemplating uh, what that means for you. uh, How you are supposed to live these verses out in your life today. And if you memorize them, feel free to... If it helps you, next week, come and recite the verse to me, and then I'll ask you, are you living the verses out? Because that's really what matters. And so with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to open up your word, uh, to look at how we are supposed to fear you, how we are supposed to love you, to serve you, to walk in your ways, and to obey your commandments and statutes. And we thank you. And that we do all these things, I pray that you would give us a heart of love for you, that we do these things willingly, uh, because we see you as our uh, great, holy, and awesome Father. And I just pray that as we go through 2022, we would write this on the tablets of our hearts, and that we would be proclaiming this to all the world who desperately needs uh, to see this light in a very dark world. We pray that you would give us more wisdom and understanding as we memorize these. In Jesus' name, amen.